vital that we stay focused on what we're fixing to do. Now, y'all listen carefully, okay? Everybody look up here just a minute. Because this is going to be a very searching and a very challenging message. I don't know if you need it or not. I know I need it, okay? I really do. So y'all buckle up your seatbelt. We're going for a ride. This is very, uh, again, a challenging message to every one of us. But I think God's going to use it. In fact, I know God's going to use it in my life, and he's going to use it in your life as well. And uh, as I began the message, I felt like it was vital to begin to focus rather than us gather around the table and just not have the proper perspective. And so the title of the message today is, have you ever been on the phone? Uh, when I call somebody, you know what the first thing I say is, where you at? <laughs> where you at? I'll call Deanna and say, where you at? You know what that tells me? You ever say that? Where you at? It tells me that if I need to talk long or just end the conversation short, where are you at? Say that with me. Where are you at? And that's what God wants to know from you. Where are you at? Where are you at right now? And not only where are you at, but where do you need to get to? And that's the goal for today. It's not only to leave us where we're at spiritually, but to take us where we need to go, particularly as we gather around the Lord's table. Why? Because it's very important that we focus in the right way. It is extremely important. Tell me something. Are you happy? How many of you are not happy? You hadn't been happy for a while. What's it going to take to make you happy? Why aren't you happy? Are, is your happiness dependent upon who wins a game and who doesn't win a game, who loses and who wins? If your happiness depended upon circumstances and, and upon uh, you know, things going on in your life, then uh, we've got a real uh, issue there. Where is your happiness? Oh, yes. How can you be happy? We're going to look today at a passage of Scripture that really means happiness. Happiness, a state of happiness. Don't you want to be happy? Don't you want to have joy in your heart? Sure you do. Well, we're going to find out today as we progress through this passage of Scripture in a moment, the Beatitudes, the happy attitudes. And uh, I want to challenge you today as we look at this text together. We're coming to the table. We're coming to the Lord's table. And I dare say that I don't want to just come half-heartedly and I don't want to just uh, partake in what we're fixing to partake in and be, um, you know, distracted from the things that are uh, on my mind. Rather, I want to come with a heart of worship. How many want to come with a heart of worship today? Yes, I believe all of us do indeed want to come with a heart of worship coming to the table. But I want to reiterate the question, where are you at? Tell me, what kind of spiritual inventory, if the Lord takes us in us today, would, how would you check up in the Lord's inventory? Well, I'll be honest with you, the list we're going to look at today is going to be very heart-searching. Again, it's going to be very challenging to each one of us as to where am I at? And then, Lord, where do you want me to go? I'm convinced every one of us need a closer walk with the Lord. Amen. I'm convinced every one of us could draw a little bit closer to the Lord. I'm convinced some of us could maybe, uh, you know, maybe not spend as much time doing this thing and maybe give God some more time. And I believe that the Lord will indeed bless that. But where are you at? We're looking today at the book of Matthew chapter 5. Turn there, Matthew chapter 5. And I want to share with you briefly as we prepare our hearts to gather around the Lord's table. 
Matthew chapter 5, otherwise known as the Beatitudes. And our Lord Jesus is beginning this discourse, what is called the Sermon on the Mount. And I had the privilege of being there a few years ago, right there in the geographical area of the Sea of Galilee. Our Lord Jesus, it's a kind of a rolling hill kind of terrain. He gathers his disciples, but wait a minute, not just his disciples, he gathers all believe, uh, those who are believers, Jewish believers during that time. Now, wait a minute, before I read the text, I want you to hear me, everybody listen very carefully, because I would do injustice if I don't, give the technical, historical background background on Matthew chapter 5. Today, we don't really care about, often, most uh, teachers and preachers just throw it right out the door and just go straight to the text and say, God, what are you saying to me? And certainly, God is saying some things to us. But wait a minute, before we uh, cross the bridge to the here and the now, the then and the there. It's important that we talk about the then and there. Any Sunday school teacher? How many teachers we got in the house of God today? Raise your hand. You know how important this is when you teach a lesson or you preach on a text to stay true to the historical content, number one, and then draw some application to it. Don't throw that out the window. Well, having said that, I'm going to briefly, as quickly as possible, due to time, summarize what we're talking about. Jesus is talking to the Jewish believers namely his 12 disciples and those who believed in him. Now, the church had not been established in Matthew chapter 5 at this point. The church was established later in the book of Acts chapter 2, some time after this occasion. Why am I saying that? Because technically speaking, Jesus is speaking to Jewish believers, not the church. However, we derive uh, practical application from the church, but in the general setting, hear me, hear me now, this is what I want you to remember, and then I'm going to move on. Wish I had time to talk more about it, but I'm not. Here's what I want you to remember. This is a kingdom message of our Lord. Now, I personally believe the kingdom is yet to come. I believe the kingdom of God will come in the millennial reign, the literal slash physical kingdom where Jesus Christ sits on his throne for 1,000 years. And if you study the book of Matthew, the Lord led me to do my dissertation on church now, kingdom later, to search from Genesis to Revelation, all the references to kingdom, every reference to it. And I wish I had time to talk a lot about it, but anyway, simply to say this, uh, that the kingdom, Jesus was offering the kingdom of God to Israel at this point. For example, in chapter 9, in verse, uh, chapter 4 rather, and verse 17, he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. But wait a minute. The Jews, Israel, by and large, rejected the kingdom and ultimately crucified our Lord. Consequently, the kingdom of God, as it being ushered in at that moment, has been temporarily postponed. And the Lord had another plan, and that plan was to establish the church. Hear me, the church does not replace Israel. I do not believe in replacement theology. Regardless of some of my pastor friends who may teach that, uh, I believe that God had a covenant with Israel, Abraham, and the circumcision, unconditional Abrahamic covenant that God will establish it in the future, namely in the millennial reign. And not only that, but the Lord established a covenant with David. We call it the Davidic covenant, where David's seed will sit on the throne, his kingdom, his his. Uh, seed will sit on the throne unconditionally and that will be also futuristic 
and then the land covenant which the Lord will establish with Israel, which he has not given them the total land that he promised numerous places in the Old Testament, but will indeed be fulfilled in the millennial kingdom when Christ comes for a thousand years. The new covenant will also be fulfilled. So hold that thought because now all of a sudden the church is integrated into the Bible. And the Lord has a plan for his church as well. Here's the bottom line. Let me give you a quick uh, overview of what I believe to be the end time scenario. Next event on God's calendar. Boom. The rapture of the church. Jesus will come back at any moment. Then, I believe according to Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, the seven years, the clock will start ticking. The Antichrist will emerge, confirm a covenant with the Jewish people, only to break the covenant halfway through the covenant, uh, through that midway three and a half years. Then, all of that will lead up to the mark of the beast and eventually the battle of all battles, namely the battle of Armageddon, where the blood is set to flow at the height of the horse's bridle, some 200 miles long. And that will climax slash com, uh, consummate when Christ comes back, not in the clouds, in the rapture, but comes to touch the earth with his feet, according to Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 4. His feet shall stand upon the Mount of Olives, and he then is going to usher in his kingdom, and thank God his kingdom, there shall be no end. You say, Pastor, how do you derive that? Where's Jesus at now? He's at the right hand of the Father. He purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the Father. He's waiting to come back for his church. And then he will indeed implement the kingdom of God whereby not only Israel will enjoy that thousand years of bliss and blessing, but we the church will come back with the Lord according to Revelation chapter 19. And then we move from eternity future into eternity future. I said all that. I told you I was going to try to summarize as quickly as possible. Now, Go to the text, and here's what I want you to remember now. Jewish believers, Peter, James, and John, and these Jewish believers, the Lord is giving them the conditions of the millennial kingdom, and yet, wait a minute, have I confused you by now? See, some of you don't study your Bible. And I, my role as your pastor is that we write and divide the word of truth and not just uh, uh, take a little piece here and a little piece there. And so that's the reason I took that time to share that with you. We need to be students of the Bible. Somebody say amen. Oh, yeah, we need to know what the Lord has planned for us. Well, now, that does not mean we do not derive practical application from this text. We can, and I'll explain but I must be true to the Bible and therefore share the historical context of what the Lord Jesus was saying. Now, please stand with me as we read Matthew chapter 5 in what we call the Beatitudes. By the way, you do know the word blessed is the word makarios, and the word makarios means happy, 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 happy. You want to be happy today? People say, well, I've just got to have wine, women, and wealth. That's how my happiness comes. Yes, the world says, you know, get all you can, can all you get. That's how you have happiness. But the Lord Jesus has a different plan for happiness. And the reason some of you may not be happy today is because of what we're going to talk about. I pray that God will help us to be happy in him. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 through verse number 12 is our text today. Are you there? If you are, say amen. Blessed, that word blessed again is makarios, it means happy. The blessed state of happiness, happy. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, 
for they and they shall be filled. By the way, that's an emphatic Greek. It means they and they alone. If you're not hungry for God today, you're not going to get filled. But those that are hungry for God and thirsty for God, they shall be filled. Amen. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. There's the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11. Blessed are they when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Yes, rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. So persecuted they the prophets which are before you. Father, I thank you for the word of God. I thank you for those that have gathered. I pray, Lord, you'll challenge my heart and our hearts together as we examine our heart, as we approach this time whereby you set aside, Lord, that we should remember you and that we should worship you and that, God, we should come to the table with clean hands and a pure heart. I'm asking, Father, for illumination and revelation and, oh, God, the transformation in our life as we wait upon you because you're a mighty God, a great God, a living God. I thank you for saving me. I thank you for loving me. I thank you for those blood-washed, blood-washed that are here today as we've come, our Lord, to magnify you and when all said and done, we'll give you glory, change lives today, Lord. And we thank you now for the blood. We thank you now for the cross. We thank you now for the empty tomb. And we thank you that you promise you will come again. And there's hope, there's life, there's joy unspeakable, full of glory because of who we are in you. And we ask now to just refresh us, revive us, renew us, and cleanse us with the washing of water by the word. Search us, O oh God, and help us, Lord, not to run from, but run to the precious living Lord as you turn the light on and God cleanse us afresh. We thank you now for victory in Jesus, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. You may be seated. Now, I know you didn't catch all what I just said, and so, therefore, I want to encourage you to get the tape. You'll have to listen to it. I had to go through that very rapidly, very quickly. Here's where we're going in the message today. Blessed are the poor in spirit. There's the kingdom of heaven. I want to ask seven questions, seven ways you can tell where you're at. Hello? Hello? Where you at? <laughs> where you at? Hello? Where you at? God's asking us seven, really eight questions. Where are you at today? Are you ready? Here's the number one question, and we'll go through it. Don't worry about it. I'll have them on the screen. Number one, are you humble and poor in spirit? Are you humble and poor in spirit? Number two, do, uh, rather, are you broken over your sin? Are you broken over your sin? Number three, uh, are you not only broken over your sin, but watch this, are you meek? Not weak, but meek. Number four, are you hungry and thirsty for God? Oh, yes. Number five, are you merciful? Number six, are you pure, pure in heart? Number seven, are you a peacemaker? Number eight, are you persecuted for righteousness sake? I want to go simply use the text. All we're doing is letting the Bible speak for itself. Here is the message in the outline. Are you, number one, humble and poor in spirit listen as we come to the lord's table there's no place for arrogancy there's no place for uh for glorying in the flesh are you humble and 
and poor in spirit. By the way, the word poor in spirit is the same word that's used in Luke chapter 16 where the rich man died and uh, was buried and in hell he lifted up his eyes. But the poor man, Lazarus, same word for poor. The poor man, Lazarus, oh yes, he was translated into the kingdom of God by the angels, that is Abraham's bosom. Are you humble? Are you humble? Listen, God doesn't want us to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And every one of us here today are prone to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Humble. Are you recognizing what we are? We are what we are by the grace of God. Nothing else, nothing more, nothing short. We are what we are by the grace of God. And therefore, God doesn't want us to glory and brag about things that we've done. Rather, we ought to give Him glory. I want to tell you something, beloved. Are you humble and broken? Are you humble and poor in spirit? The, what bothers me as much as anything is these sports stars and movie stars and Hollywood stars and other politicians that brag and boast about all their accomplishments. And there I go yet by the grace of God as well. And there you go yet by the grace of God as well. Doesn't it bother you that God didn't get glory? Doesn't it bother you that, that people today are boasting and bragging about all that I've done and all that this and that and the other? God says, if you want to have a, a right relationship with Him, if you want to be happy, you can't brag and boast about yourself. Be poor in spirit, bankrupt spiritually before God. Oh God, I'm nothing without you. I can do nothing without you. But oh, thank you, God, in you I can do all things. Now listen to me, beloved. It's all right to have a good self-image based on who we are in Christ. And it's all right to feel good about yourself because of what God's done for us. There's a great need there. But there's a fine line when we cross over and we begin to leave God out of the equation. I'm going to make some of you mad right now. I'm going to make you mad. You know why? Maybe, maybe not. I want to tell you an illustration to me that really vividly portrays what I'm trying to say happened just a few days ago. Many of you are Atlanta Braves friends. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I used to be more so. I, I, don't, I've never, I hadn't seen a game all year, but I read about it in the paper. I used to keep up with them when I was growing up. Matter of fact, I remember when they were on the radio. They weren't even on television. Man, I was dominated by the Braves, man. Atlanta Braves, Atlanta Braves, Atlanta Braves. Tell you ever put person on the team, et cetera, et cetera. But I said that to say this, and I'm just using it as an illustration. The star player on the Atlanta Braves, one of the star players, is this young man, 21 years old, named Acuna. I mean, know who I'm talking about. You know who I'm talking about. And you see, I'm, this is to illustrate the point. I'm not bashing him. There I go yet by the grace of God. You know what happened the other day on Thursday? Many of you probably watched the game. I read about it afterwards. I think it was on Thursday uh, that uh, they were playing the St. Louis Cardinals. And this Acuna, who's a superstar now, 21 years old, he's making millions of dollars. <laughs> you understand? He's a good ball player, granted. But he's got some things evidently to learn. You know what he did a few uh, weeks ago? He hit a ball out in the outfield and he stood there and just watched it. He thought it was going to go over the fence, but it didn't go over the fence. It hit the fence and bounced off. Then he started running to first base. He probably could have made it to second base, but because he stood there at the plate and gloated and hitting the ball, thinking it was going over the fence, he only made it to first base. How I many know his manager was irate? His manager was upset with him. In fact, the manager said, you're on the bench. This happened a few weeks ago. Now, what happened just Thursday night? I read according to the paper, you probably saw it, 
he hit another ball after having reprimanded and sat on the bench because you're supposed to hustle down the first. He hit another ball uh, early in the game or middle of the game, whatever it was, and he stood there again instead of hustling down to first base. And he thought it was going over the fence, but it didn't go over the fence. It hit the fence. And in result, he only made it to first base. He probably could have made it to second base. And according to the article, they lost by one run. That could have been the very run that would have tied the game. But because of uh, his not running, it, it may have cost him the game. I don't know about that, but I know this. The last inning, ninth inning, according to the paper, he hit a ball and it went way over the fence. I don't know if he did it on purpose or not, but according to the article I read, he tossed the bat looking at the dugout as if to say, hmm, what you think about that now? Now, that's kind of arrogant in my opinion. I guess he can afford to be arrogant being a millionaire as he is and two, being young as he is, but that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. That's the opposite of humility and brokenness. And whether we know it or not, we're influenced by people like that. They become our idols. They become our superstars. And we want to be like them. I'm going to tell you something. And I don't know the young man. I don't know where he's at. Again, I, I, there I go too. But I'm telling you, Jesus said, if you want to come to him and be happy in the Lord, you've got to be humble and poor in spirit. Oh, yes. When's the last time you humbled your heart under God's mighty hand? There's a second way. Can I tell you a second way to be uh, happy in the Lord and to find out, hey, hello, where you at and where you want to go? Number two. Blessed are the poor in spirit. There's the kingdom of heaven. Number two. Blessed are they that mourn. They shall be comforted. I want to ask you a question. Y'all be honest with me now. I'm honest with you. How, many of you. how many of you are broken over your sin? Are you really broken over your sin? I dare, I dare say that the state that's dangerous for me and you to be in is that we just don't uh, care if we sin anymore. We're not broken over our sin. Blessed are they that mourn. They shall be comforted. You know what I find, and it's troubling to say the least, is today, if we're not careful, we can brag about our sin rather than mourn over our sin. Let me give an example. Somebody, and I'm just throwing this out, you, you know, and, and let me say this as your pastor too. Please, this is my opinion, and I told you this was going to be heart-searching. I told you it's going to be a challenging message. Please, don't post on Facebook all the sin you've done and glory in it. Don't do it. It's a stumbling block to people. Don't post it in the world and then brag about how much you did and what all you did. We ought to be mourning over our sin. Amen. <laughs> we ought to be mourning over our sin, not glorying in our sin, not boasting about it. And uh, tell me, today as we approach the Lord's table, are you... Are you uh, are you really mourning over your sin? Are you, are you broken over the fact of, look what's going, speaking of broken, are, are you broken over what's going on in America? We live in a divided nation. You say, well, I don't give a rip. I don't care. I understand, but we ought to be mourning. That's what Jesus said. Blessed are they that mourn. They shall be comforted. Are you mourning over, dear God, I've got some unchecked areas in my life. I've been critical. I'm so prone to be judgmental. I, I've leaned and I've been slipping a little bit in, in this area. I've been unforgiving. I've been kind of bitter. And Lord, I've been looking at some things and indulging in some stuff that I know is not pleasing to you. And Lord, I, I, I've got some relationships that I really need to kind of uh, separate myself for a little while. Blessed are they that mourn. 
they should be comforted. When's the last time you wept over this nation? When's the last time instead of criticizing all the stuff going on, which I'm prone to do, you said, dear God, we're in a mess. Lord, if you don't intervene, we are a sinking ship. Oh, yes, blessed are they that mourn. They shall be comforted. There's a third way that I believe you can be happy today and that we can, where you at? How you can tell where you're at. Not only blessed are the poor in spirit, there's the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn. They should be comforted. Number three, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Are you a meek person? Now, meekness does not mean weakness. In fact, the Lord said about Moses, he was one of the meekest men in all the world. You know a good definition for meek or meekness is this. Strength under God's control. Strength under God's control. Are you a meek individual? You got, does God the Holy Spirit to control you or do you just let things fly? You just kind of shoot from the hip. Meekness, oh yes, it's not weakness. Jesus said it this way. Come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart. I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your soul. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Are you a meek individual? Uh, when we come to the table today, oh, look, where are you at? Do you need to say, dear God, Lord, help me to be humble. Lord, help me not to brag and boast about my accomplishments. Help me, Lord, to give you glory when somebody gives me accolades. Help me, Lord, not to be lifted up with uh, pride and uh, elated with self-accomplishments. By the way, Jesus Christ is comparing the Pharisees versus his followers. The Pharisees were not humble. They were not poor in spirit. They boasted and bragged about what all their legalistic ways and their laws and their feasts and, and they were trying to earn merit with God. There's a lot of Pharisees in the church today who unfortunately are following the same trend of the Pharisees. The Pharisees didn't mourn over their sin. They thought they had the truth even though they crucified the king of glory. Religion can be a dangerous thing and there's a lot of people today that sit in church but they're not really obeying God. They're not really repenting of their sin. They're not really being broken before God. They're not really breaking free from things the enemy would try to put on us and it causes us to become more and more self-righteousness it causes us more and more to become religiosity and we can go through the motions and put on a show for people but God knows our heart and that's why today I'm telling you God says this is where you're at but you don't have to stay right there you can move a little closer oh yes you can be cleansed with the washing of water by the word and I say hallelujah hallelujah what a Savior. Well, number, number next. Blessed are the, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Tell me, are you hungry and thirsty for God? Are you hungry and thirsty for God? I want to say something. Y'all listen to me. I'm not being critical. I'm just stating my personal opinion, okay? Do you know why more people don't come to church today? Do you know why more people don't pray today? Do you know why more people don't read their Bible today? I'll tell you. They're not hungry for God. That's the bottom line. The bottom line is if we've got a hunger and thirst for God, we're going to, the Lord says, blessed are they, happier they, who hunger and thirst after righteousness. God's righteousness, not our self-righteousness, not measuring ourselves. Say, well, you know, I go to church here and there, and, and 
I'm not bad of a person. I see so-and-so, and I see so-and-so. Don't measure yourself by other people. Measure it according to the plumb line of the Bible. That's what leads us to brokenness. That's what leads us to a good view of who we really are and how God sees us. And then the Bible says, he that exalts himself shall be abased, but who shall abase himself shall be exalted. You want to go up? The way up is down. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him. Y'all are, y'all are understanding, don't you? This is diametrically opposed to the world's way. The world says, pull yourselves up with your bone bootstraps. The world says, it's all about me, myself, and I. The world is all about leaving God out of your life. We last Sunday night, we had a time when a young man came and he was talking about God and he said, you know, he's a young man. I talked with him after the service. Some of you that were here Sunday night, you know what I'm talking about. He said, I don't see how, if God's a loving God, how he would send somebody to hell. Why would he send me to hell? He's a loving God, but he'll send me to hell. Well, I told a young man then, and I got to thinking about it even afterwards, after we talked. I said, wait a minute. God's done all he can to keep you out of hell. Jesus Christ died on an old rugged cross, became sin for us who knew no sin. He, the just, paid our price for us, the unjust, that he might bring us to God. He paid a debt I, he didn't know, and a price I couldn't pay. Wait a minute. God the Father's done all he can to keep a sinner out of hell. If you say no to God's Son, if you say no to the blessed, precious blood of Jesus Christ, you sentence yourself. You condemn yourself to hell. You say, you got that in the Bible? I'll tell you where it's at. John chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. For God sent not his Son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believes on the Son is not condemned, but he that believes not in the Son of God is already condemned because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the condemnation that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Oh, listen, you can't blame God on everything. We're free moral agents. Yes, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. I want to ask you a personal question. How hungry are you for God? How thirsty are you for God? Oh, listen, are you just going through the motions? You don't have to stay like that, beloved. You can say, dear God, my heart is cold. My heart is uh, lukewarm. My heart is prone to leave the God I, that, uh, that saved me. God, please draw me back. Lord, give me a heart for you. As a deer pants after water at a brook, so may my soul pant after you, O oh God. You notice this message today is not for pansy Christians. It's for serious Christians. Buddy, you're not going to like what I'm saying because this is serious business. We can play games all day, play church all day, and play the hypocrite all day, but until we really get honest with God, we're just playing games. Amen. And so, wait. You know what? My dear mama would tell me this. She'd say, son, before you come to the supper table, don't you be eating them sweets and snacks. How many of your mama used to tell you that before you ate supper? My mama would say, son, son, you need to, don't eat all them sweets before you eat supper. I confess to you today that there were times when I'd sneak around. I'd find me a little Reese's cup. I'd find me a little Snickers bar. Man, I couldn't resist the temptation. I'd uh, begin to uh, peel that baby back. And man, I, nobody knew about it. God knew about it. Amen. And, and I'd eat that candy bar. Guess what happened? I'd show up at the table. I'd sit around the table. And you know what? When the meal was served, I'd kind of pick over it. I didn't have an appetite. My mama would look at me and say, Son, have you been eating sweets? She knew I'd been eating sweets. 
I want to tell you something. I love you, but I got to tell you this. The reason some people don't get stuff out of church is because they've been eating sweets in the world. You come hungry for God, you come thirsty for God, I'll tell you, God will set the table. You can meet with God. And the reason some of you aren't more spiritual is you're feeding on the sweets of this world and you don't have an appetite for God. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. How many need today to say, dear God, give me an appetite for you. Give me a heart for you. As, yes, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinner, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. His delight is in the law of the Lord. His law doth he meditate both day and night. Oh, yes. Are you hungry for God? Are you thirsty for God? You get, you just, you just satisfied with a little piece here, and a little pinch here, and maybe once, every once in a while, I think I'll go to church every six weeks, and I think I'll go to Sunday school every six weeks. Come on, that shows me there must not be an appetite. Now I'm not saying some people aren't providentially hindered. I know that, but the truth is, some of us aren't. I went to the funeral home on Tuesday night. Cora Richardson, one of our beloved dear ladies, went to be with the Lord on Monday morning at 6:50 in the morning. As I stood there in the funeral home visitation, I looked down at what was uh, uh, the shell of Sister Cora Richardson. Question, if I would have said, Cora, Cora, Sister Cora, can you hear me? And if I would have reached over and grabbed her hand, would she have felt it? Would she have heard what I'm saying? Sister Cora, no, she don't hear me. Why? She's dead. Her body is ceasing to function. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. The reason a lot of people come to sit in church today and they don't get anything out of it because they're dead and trespasses and sin. You come alive and you're going to be hungry. You know the, the sign of a baby. You mamas know what I'm talking about. What's a sign when a baby's healthy? They're going to be hungry. That's a sign of life. That's the sign of a Christian hungry for God, thirsty for God. Oh, God, give me a hunger for you. Help me not to feed on the sweets of this world. They can't satisfy me. Oh, they can't bring happiness in my life like you can. Next, blessed are the poor in spirit. There's the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. Hallelujah. Number next is blessed are the merciful. They shall obtain mercy. Question, are you a merciful person? Can I tell you what really hinders a lot of us? See, if you're with me, we watch all the bad news all the time, and next thing you know, we get cynical. The next thing you know, we get callous hearts. You see all the games going on in the politics, and it can just give you a bad attitude. Y'all don't want to be honest with me today. I told you it's going to be heart searching, but I'm telling you this is hitting home right here. You see, we can, we can look out in the world and say, well, that's not fair. God's not fair. Why did they get by with it? Looks like they got by it. And the next thing you know, you can develop a, a attitude that's, not uh, merciful. And next thing you know, we, uh, with people, ah, we look at everybody else. You're trying to take advantage of me. You're trying to take advantage of me. I don't trust you. I don't believe you. And that's the danger of this whole world. I'll tell you what, how many of you saw in the paper? I saw it. The young man, the young lady who was convicted of murder in Dallas, the young police officer, 
uh, what was her name? Amber Geiger. Amber Geiger. Did you see the picture where the young man that she killed, evidently she got off work on the police department, 13 hours of work. Supposedly she went up to the wrong apartment, which is up above her apartment. The door wasn't completely shut. She just pushed it open, and there was somebody who she thought was a burglar in her house but was sitting in his own house. Boom, boom, boom. She killed him, shot him. She said she was uh, sorry that it was a mistake. Nonetheless, she got 10 years in prison, according to the verdict by the jury and then ultimately the judge. But did you see the young man who was the brother of the man that she shot and killed? He got down from the stands. He got down from the stands, and it showed a picture. You know what it did? He came and hugged her. He gave her a big hug right there in the courtroom. Now, was that not a message of what we need to be doing today or what? Praise the Lord. And I wouldn't have known it had Deanna not have called me in the living room when uh, he was speaking at an interview and I didn't know the whole scenario. However, I saw the interview. You know what he said? You know what he said? He said, well, we ought to be forgiving. That's what I heard. I don't know what you heard. But anyway, that's what I heard as he said. He's, they were interviewing him. He said, we need to forgive. We can't harbor bitterness in our heart. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Have you gotten the place where you say, oh, let those sinners die and go to hell. They're lost, and I don't care, and they're not listening to me, and they, they don't deserve this and that. God, give us a heart of mercy for our community. And for our country, well, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now listen, beloved, this is really heart-searching. Blessed are the pure in heart. You notice on the screen, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Question. Are you saying uh, that, Lord, uh, I want to have a pure heart. I don't want to have junk and stuff in my heart. I'm fixing to get around the Lord's table and worship Him and remember His sacrifice for me. God, give me a pure heart. Oh, thank God the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. God, give me a pure heart. You know what? I want to go back to what I said a moment ago. When we sin against God, aren't you glad that we have an advocate? Amen. Aren't you glad? Praise the Lord. The Lord said, you don't have to stay in that state. No. You can, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now you see why we need this before we come to the table. Uh-huh. Yeah, now you see why we really need to do a thorough job of searching our heart. Rather, let's just come to the table half-heartedly, haphazardly, and really not mean anything to us. Rather, we're going to come today and say, Oh, God, give me a pure heart. Give me a heart for you. David it was that was caught, and he was convicted. It was David. Did he laugh at his sin? Did he make mockery of his sin? No. He said, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to thy multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For my sin is ever before me against thee, and thee only have I sinned and done this evil. Notice, he said, I've done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and when thou judgest. David is saying, oh God, I need a clean heart, oh God. And then he said, behold, I was sheep in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. Yes, behold, thou desirest truth in the inner parts that the hidden parts may know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. 
And then he said, Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Create within me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Maybe that's what's wrong today. You don't have the joy of the Lord today. Maybe it's a drudgery to pray. Maybe it's a, you know, I go to church, call this, uh, got to go to church. Oh, listen, God said, if we'll get right with him, there'll be a joy to serve the Lord. We shouldn't have to, uh, we shouldn't have to twist folks' arms to serve the Lord. Man, you ought to be saying, bless God, God's been good to me. Whatever God wants me to do, my self-worth is not dependent upon my doing, but my being, but because of who I am in him. How many has God been good to you? I said, how many have God healed your body? How many has God brought the needs in your life? How many has God snatched you off the wide and broad gate, brought you into the straight and narrow way? How many today could say, Lord, I know I owe you my all, my help. I give you glory for good help. I was visiting Pledge Hayes yesterday. You know what he told me? He said something profound. He said, Brother Randy, there's a lot of people don't realize that God puts things on their mind to speak and they don't give God glory. They don't understand. How many know that it's God that puts stuff on our mind at the nick of time, wisdom and insight? And we say, well, I just thought of that. How about the Holy Spirit of God? Don't forget the Holy Spirit of God and give God glory, Lord. Oh, yes, Lord. Are you pure in heart? Are you a peacemaker? Are you a peacemaker? we got to get ready now as we come to the table. Are you a peacemaker? Listen to me, beloved. When something happens in the church or something happens in your family, don't be a gossiper. Don't spread it around and just pick up dirt and spread it around. That's not a peacemaker. That's a troublemaker. Don't you pour fuel on the fire. Pour water on the fire. As a peacemaker, blessed are the peacemakers. They should be called the children of God. And the reason, uh, watch this, the reason uh, that we uh, say things and so forth. A lady told me the other day, I preached a funeral of my dear friend, uh, Jimmy Dracos, and a lady came up to me afterwards. She said to me, she said, you know what my neighbor called me? I said, no, what? She said, a potty mouth. How many ever heard of that term, potty mouth? I said, bless God, that's a new word for me, potty mouth. I didn't have to ask what it meant. It don't sound good. And I said, well, bless the Lord. Why? You know, I thought, well, she calls you a potty mouth. wonder why. Hello. <laughs> it was obvious why. It's not what comes out of the mouth that, the, the, that goes into the mouth. Brother, what defiles is what comes out of the mouth. Amen. Because it comes from the heart. I want to ask you a question. I told you this is going to be heart searching. What's your language like? What have you been saying? Do some of us need to repent about some things we said? Oh, listen, beloved. Any of us can slip and fall at any given time. I'm talking about being right with God. I'm talking about being honest with God. I'm talking about, oh, having the blessings of God on our life. Blessed are the peacemakers. You can do like a vacuum cleaner and put it, pick up the dirt and discard it, or you can try to sweep it under the rug. What are you going to do when you find out something going around, somebody's talking about somebody else? Are you going to sweep it under the rug? Are you going to vacuum it up and get rid of it? May I suggest to you that some of us need to take the trash out. Take the trash out. You know why if you don't take the trash out, it'll start stinking. And some of us need to take some trash out of our house. It's stinking. Amen. It's stinking. We need to get rid of the trash and stop being negative and stop criticizing and stop being judgmental. And oh, God, give us a, a, a pure heart and not only a pure heart but a peacemaker. And blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. 
I tell you today, as we gather around the Lord's table, how many today, as our men come, would you say this, Lord, where am I today? Come to the table and live a new life.